Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the With the First Pick podcast. I am your host, Brian Perez, the site expert from withthefirstpick.com. And draft fans, we are spoiled here on this podcast. This is our third episode in, in what we hope will become one of your favorite draft podcasts as time goes on. And in only our third episode, we are fortunate enough to have another outstanding guest. Out back on episode two, we had Luke Easterling from the Draft Wire join us. And now today we have none other than Matt Waldman, of the author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which if you're a draft fan, if, if, you, if you're familiar with draft Twitter, fantasy football fan, whatever uh, uh, walk of life you are when it comes to football and learning about talent, you, I'm sure, are familiar with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you're not familiar with it yet, first question I would ask is why not? The second I would ask is change it and fix that right now. You can order Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio directly from mattwaldman.com. And let me tell you something, draft fans. It is an investment worth making. It is an evergreen product that will not only help you uh, enjoy the draft weekend so much more, but it will bring you beyond the draft into your fantasy football draft circuit. And even beyond that, what I think this product does best is if you have an interest in learning how to become a scout, how to evaluate talent, this almost becomes a tutorial on scouting offensive skill players. Matt, and he'll talk about this in a few minutes, but Matt covers 191 skill prospects between quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends with in-depth profiles on 129 of those guys. It's really a great way for the interested talent evaluator, for the guy that or gal that wants to learn more about the craft, especially when it comes to offensive skill position players. This is almost like a, a um, college course in learning how to scout. You read this book, you're going to learn, you're going to retain information, you're going to enjoy the draft, you're going to dominate fantasy football. 
end, you're going to learn something along the way when it comes to putting your own evaluations together in terms of how to watch film, the traits to look out for. It's something that I enjoy reading every single year. More importantly, though, I enjoy talking to Mr. Matt Waldman. Matt, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today. Man, what a welcome. What an introduction. I, I mean, like, I... I can't afford you, but I, if I could, I'd, I'd probably pay you to, to do, to, to say that I'd have to like rip that off the recording and say, here, here's what the RSP is about. <laughs> so, so this is, so Matt, I like to call you like the godfather of draft Twitter, right? When I first started in, you know, dipping my toe into the draft, the shark infested draft Twitter waters many years ago, your Twitter handle was one of the first that I would see come across my timeline. I, I you, you were one of the first people I followed and I immediately gained respect for the way you present your um, your style. Your you you turn scouting more into like an art. Some people want to do analytics. Some people want to do science. Yours is more like artwork, if I could put it in in terms that are maybe not traditional. Almost like how you sometimes compare players to musicians and styles of music, with styles of play, and things like that. And what. What I wanted to ask you today is what kind of brought you to your style before we get into stuff on players. So guys, if you're listening, um, Matt and I are going to take a, a deep dive into some of the running back prospects in a minute. But before we do, I want you guys to gain just a better understanding of who Matt is uh, and why it's really important to pay attention to his opinion, especially on on positions like the running back group. But Matt, before we get into those guys, what do you think was the, the the reason why you got into scouting, number one? And number two, how did you develop this unique style that you present, not only in the rookie scouting portfolio, but just in the way that you relay your opinions about players on Twitter or when you're on other podcasts? How did you develop your personal style? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a product of life experience. I'm almost 50 years old. I'll be 50 years old next year. And I... I, I see a lot of parallels between football and performance crafts, um, you know, whether it's dance or music, anything that has an improvisational element, even improvisational acting. And I think part of that comes from the fact that when I was younger, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be a jazz musician and I went to school for it for a little while at the University of Miami um, where they had a really awesome program, but I wasn't really at the level where I felt like it was a good idea for me to continue with it and graduate and then like be struggling to do the music that I ultimately wanted to do and probably never quite get there. And I could have probably done that with a different education. So I had this music background and this performance-based background. Um, and then I ended up becoming, um, you know, I, I, I had a little bit of a taste of a as a journalism major at the University of Georgia. I decided then to just get an English degree. And while I was doing that, I got a job just working. I was selling children's books over the phone, just telemarketing, like little golden books, if you remember those. Um, and, you know, those I was selling those. And then I ended up that job became went from like a part time job to a full time job as a manager. Then call centers came into the forefront with AOL and with larger internet companies. And I ended up becoming an operations manager when I graduated from school. And just this, this part-time job turned into a full-time career where I was, you know, running operations of, you know, 2,500, 2,700 labor hours a week with, you know, you know, 150 people on staff that I had to be in charge of hiring, recruiting and running teams, training, um, continuous training. Then I had to add on client 
interfacing functions with that and quality functions with that. And it was in a highly competitive environment. And I did that for about 15 years. And meanwhile, I was also just writing stories. I was doing some freelance journalism and copyright work because I still was interested in all of that. And I think the sum of those experiences of like learning quality processes and develop and then becoming a quality assurance director for a company, the same company that had about 60 branches across the United States. I learned a lot about managing people and managing teams and developing processes for that. And I got, I was always a big football fan and I started getting into writing about fantasy football and I learned about the draft and you know, I was reading about the draft and reading Gil Brandt talk about Brian Westbrook um, and talk about how if he was, you know, a couple inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, he'd be a top five pick in the draft. And I thought his talent's top five for me, you know, what's what's missing? And then I thought about it and thought it's just like any other work environment, any corporate environment, which is that there's certain politics, there's certain types of risk management involved. There's certain things that don't have to do with talent that very much factor into where these players go. And I thought it would be interesting to take the processes I learned in how to monitor performance and create that into a way to learn about the game and how to scout the game. Because I learned these best practices and got certified in these best practices on how to monitor performance and create performance monitoring and evaluation systems. And and part of the best practices is that you learn as you go, if you stay true to the process, you actually have to continuously refine it and ask questions in a way where you go, well, there's a gap here in what I'm trying to figure out and what I'm seeing or how to notate it. I have to redefine this now. Now I have to reformat it. And the the, the skeleton's the same, but how you add and, and augment it is is part of the process to make it good. And I've been doing that for 14 years. And as I continue to observe the game and observe how things have happened and we read what the media has to say. I've had media experience. So I understand certain times where point of view and frame of reference come in. So I, I can talk about some of those things. I've had the life experience of managing at a high enough level that I've interacted with C-suites. I've interacted with clients. I've interacted with everyday employees. I've interacted with frontline managers. I've been all those things other than the C-suite. I've been all the way up to just below the C-suite. So I understand these dynamics that go on in, in companies that are good and bad. And I, and I, and I could recognize them within the NFL. And I kind of stuck my neck out and started talking about these things a little bit, thinking, this is what I think. I don't know if it's true, but here it is as I'm learning the scouting process. And I'd see these parallels to music because again, I was started off as a music student and I was, and I played for a long time and I, and I saw the parallels between performance. And so, you know, probably about five or six years into doing the RSP, I had someone who worked as a scout who worked in a variety of different areas in the NFL say to me, I've been buying your book since 2007. And one of the things that I noticed that really stood out is that I was like, who the blank is this guy who can see behind the curtain of what the NFL dynamics are about without ever being in the league? And and so it was a seminal moment for me that gave me the confidence to realize that, yeah, it was the same deal of like, if you've been in the business world, the NFL, even in all of its glory and PR, you know, kind of robustness they put their pants on the same way as any other business which means they have 
they have the same deficiencies and the same upside and the same weird things that go on. And if you can, if you've had experience with it, you see it. So those types of things have kind of, I just allowed, it just gave me confidence to be myself and take my strengths of what I've learned and apply that to how I, it's how I've learned the game. And I just try and communicate how I've learned it. And maybe it makes it more accessible to other people because they can relate to music because they can relate to the business world because they can relate to craft. And as I've had conversations on my own podcast this past year, I've contacted some of my old musician friends who are football fans. And I even had one of them on and said, let's talk about jazz improvisation and quarterbacking and like how the parallels are there. And we were able to go an hour and literally just talk about these types of things. So I think it's just a matter of I'm fortunate enough to have been able to take a chance at, you know, 35 and make a and try it, try this and try and start a business at that age where I've had enough life experience, good and bad to to where I was able to parlay that into a completely different field, but use those types of elements to my advantage. You know, and it sounds like one of the prevailing themes there from from that uh, that breakdown of kind of how you got to where you are now. The prevailing theme seems to be experience, right? Whether it's life experience, uh, experience in different walks of of life, whether it's different careers, uh, dealing with different people uh, through the years, and and the evolution of you as a person, um, being able to identify the similarities, the differences uh, from you know, whether it's managing people to uh, the different types of personalities required for success and the traits that lead to success in the business world that that leads also uh, tent lends itself to the football field. And like you talked about the, the, the comparisons between music and even just playing the game, experience is key. Having life experience to reach those kinds of conclusions is important, but experience also extends into watching film, right? Experience and watching tape and knowing what you're looking at and what you should be looking for and what a player should be presenting on film to be able to have some level of confidence in what their projection will be as an NFL player. So for our listeners, just for this year alone, not not going back in terms of the last 14 years that you've been that you've been authoring the RSP, but just for the 2019 NFL draft and since we're focusing on running backs, Generally speaking, rough estimate, how many hours of film would you say you studied on this year's running back class? I probably watched, you know, I can look at this pretty quickly, I think. And I, I probably watched between at least seven to 10 games formally. And then more than that, when it comes to actually, you know, studying the, you know, when it comes to just studying the players overall. So, like, if I were to look at this particular class, and let me see if I can do this real quick right here. I watched, you know, officially where I really broke down the game as much as I possibly could um, for them. I looked at about 300 games of running back play um, and and just kind of mar- wrote that. And this was from about 70 prospects. So it averaged about three a player, but the top probably 20 probably the top 20 players, top 25 players had double that, you know, that I, that I literally went through and went through a checklist with numerous points um, specific to their position and looked at, you know, probably 25, 30 different things that I define about the running back position. And, and they're defined in writing. So I literally have a glossary where I define what balance means to me, 
what vision means to me, what ball security means to me, what, you know, power means or speed or acceleration or elusiveness. And I'm grading all of those things according to those definitions. And, and I look at that, you know, and I use that checklist. And then I also use something else where I grade the depth of that talent. And I have literal definitions for what tiers of talent they're in. Cause there's one way of looking at it and saying, can they perform the task? You know, can they make a cut? Yes or no? Yes, they can make a jump cut. Well, then you want to grade how good of a jump cut can they make? Is it like on LaShawn McCoy level or is it on Derrick Henry level? You know, and you're and you want to kind of assign those things because backs express themselves in various different ways. So I'm trying to grade in a in a broad sense to see how many tasks they can do to do the job and then in a depth sense to say how well they actually do it and the different combinations of their depth of talent is kind of like looking at snowflakes they express themselves very differently within the same position and that's what makes the running back class so much fun because there is such a wide range from a from a physical dimension and um as well as their athletic dimensions and how they're combined to express that talent you know, you could give Justice Hill and Benny Snell the same grade, and I did, but they're vastly different styles of players, and they fit very differently. So it's it makes the evaluation of this um, in-depth and cool and fun to do, but also um, a challenge. And I think that's it's really important for the listeners to understand just how much work goes into your evaluations. Because when we start talking about these players in a little more detail, I mean, this isn't just, you know, what we see sometimes on draft Twitter and I, you know, guys and gals out there listening, you're going to hear me refer to draft Twitter quite a bit. It's, it's kind of like a love hate relationship. You can't live with it. You can't live without it. I mean, it's, it's like, it's the greatest place to engage in draft conversation with like-minded draft fans. It's also the place that you can find yourself frustrated faster than anything on planet Earth because you can tell when somebody is, you know, tweeting out an opinion on a on a player that maybe they haven't watched enough film or they're just very arrogant and and uh, stubborn about maybe a trait or two that they saw in one game, whereas that trait or two may or that concern or flaw may be minimized or even altogether eliminated if they watch two or three other games. When we talk to to Matt here, you know he's watched the games that matter. You know he's watched over 300 games, as he just said, on this year's running back uh, class alone. And that depth of film study, to me, matters when you're scouting any position group because the more games you could watch, not just on one player, but of the class of prospects on a whole, it matters because you can really start getting a better feel for Benny Snell versus Justice Hill, Elijah Holyfield versus David Montgomery. It's not that you just get lost in this bubble of watching nine games of Elijah Holyfield and never really got around to doing enough due diligence on David uh, Montgomery. You, By watching 300 games, you get a really good sense of this year's, this quote-unquote running back class and who's going to rise to the top because you can't help but just after, the, after game 200, 250, 290. I mean, this class becomes like second, like second nature to you. So let's start talking about this class, Matt. All right. Um, why don't I see it with Josh Jacobs, man? I think part of it is, is that there's not a great deal of depth to the tape. Probably. Um, there's not a ton of tape with like getting a chance to see him with carry number 18, carry number 19. Um, that might be part of it. Maybe part of it is you're looking for a back with long speed, um, you know, and he doesn't have that. 
so there there's elements there that you can say there's something missing with his game. Can I throw uh, one more? Th- can I throw sure, more, one more thing? There? And and I and I hate to admit this. Am I seeing the ghost of Trent Richardson? Wow. Um, yeah, I think you might be, and I think you. I think you. I think that um, when I see Josh Jacobs, I don't see Trent Richardson. But maybe that's you know. Again, this is a good example of a of a situation where you explain how much tape I watched. But Joshua Jacobs is a great example of this running back class and why it was so hard to evaluate because. Here's a guy who didn't have a ton of tape to watch. Right, right. Can, I mean, you could watch a lot of games with him in the game, but you weren't going to get to see him carry the ball more than, you know, seven to eight times most of the time or see that more than, you know, you won't see a lot of double digit touches out of him. So it's a little bit more of a risk with him. To me, I looked at him and I said, I see, you know, I see a player who's a higher end Spencer Ware. I see a guy who's maybe a low end Ray Rice someone who can give you that Frank Gore at the top of his game, you know, post injury, like when he was like with the 49ers, I see a guy who can have a long career. He has everything, but Frank breakaway speed. And I love how he makes decisions between the tackles. I thought he was actually quite efficient and he had good footwork and that he was, you know, he didn't have the great explosion, um, but he's someone that he sees he sees how the plays develop well enough to make efficient turns of his hips to not have to jump cut into penetration. He can actually turn away and efficiently get downhill and that he could break a tackle or drop his pads or make plays as a receiver. And, and I think that when I look at it from that standpoint, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're what you're seeing with him and Trent Richardson, um, maybe you are seeing ghosts on that. And I know from my perspective, I look at him and, and I like him. I think he's, I think he's worth the freight um, other than if you're a team that's looking for a back who can take the ball 60, 70 yards and, and outrun the secondary on a play where the secondary is even playing like too deep on you. You know, I think that he's a back more that is going to break a lot of, you know, 15, 20 yard gains for you and be a load carrier and be a good one. So when I look at running backs, my my number one trait, if you want to talk about if you want to kind of pare this down to physical traits, I mean, there's a lot of traits playing the position that, um, you know, in terms of the feel as a running back, just the natural feel for the position understanding the flow of the defense, being able to almost work um, in rhythm with your offensive line, the timing of your cuts, that that stuff is more like the mental traits of the position. When I'm talking about the physical traits, the one thing I look for in value probably more than anything else is feet, quick feet, efficient feet, but really quick pitter-patter feet. I prefer that run, a running back who has that kind of game. And I think what Trent Richardson did for me as a major red flag, he was one of the few running backs that I studied that I didn't like his feet, but I still gave him a really high grade. Uh, and when I see Josh Jacobs, I don't see the feet. I, I know it sounds crazy, right? Because he he's productive. He makes chunk plays. He's going to be able to 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 get those seven, eight-yard runs in the NFL like you talked about. But I don't know if he's going to come into the league. Like I, Daniel Jeremiah has him ranked eighth on his top 50 players list. I, I think that's insane. I don't see how he's a top 10 player in this class. 
let alone even the top running back in this class. We'll talk about that in a minute. But his feet to me are the biggest concern. And yes, there's not enough tape for me to say, all right, I might not be in love with the pacing that he runs with, but he's got, you know, 550 career college carries where he's averaging seven yards a carry and the guy's making plays and he did it in the SEC. Get over it, Brian. The guy could play, right? I don't know if I necessarily get that feel for him, but the guy that whose feet I love, David Montgomery. Oh, what do you think? What do you think about Montgomery? I I don't think to you know in terms of scoring, I think uh, how I scored them, they're one and two on my board, and there's not much separation at all. To me, the difference to me is, I thought Josh Jacobs had a little bit more economical feet, a little more economical decision making. So it was you weren't going to see as much flash out of his ability to make dynamic changes of direction, but I think that with Montgomery you get a little bit more of that upside that comes with the dynamic changes, the jump cuts, the spin moves, the jump stops, the, the wide the wide range in which he could cut. And I think that with Montgomery, you, you get a back where is more, if Ray Rice is kind of the center player, you know, unfortunate that I'm making the comp- comparison, I guess, for some when you look at it off the field, but as a player, and we can compartmentalize to just the player, you know, other ranges of players who are on that Ray Rice you know, spectrum were guys like Maurice Jones Drew and Devonta Freeman. And I think that, you know, a guy like David Montgomery fits more along those lines of players. Someone who can really he could probably run outside zone and inside zone for you. He can run some gap for you, even though he's not extremely fast. Um, but he's quick enough and he's got that low center of gravity. So I can understand that when you look at him that he's someone that offers a little bit more dynamic ability to find solutions um, when he has to change direction. The one player who who jumps to the forefront of my mind every time I watch David Montgomery, not because they're identical comps, you know, physically they're uh, they're not the same size. I think Montgomery has some uh, better he has better feet, quicker feet than the player I'm about to tell you uh, or about to compare him to. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this comp, and I, I would hope that some of our listeners aren't so young that they don't remember this guy. But from a contact balance standpoint, a guy who can can break through contact, can keep that rare balance, and even rare change of direction with the, with how low, how much bend he gets in his cuts, his flexibility, his hips and his ankles, plus the power coming out of those cuts, he reminds me so much of Jamal Anderson. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a fun comp right there. If he can if he can deliver that kind of leg strength and power, if he's on that level, then that's a that would be a wonderful comparison to see come to fruition. Because Jamal Anderson was an absolute stud of a player who wasn't fast, but he was quick. And yeah, the how you describe that change of direction skill is just awesome. He was just awesome in that range. And then he just lower the pads on you. And just take he you was, for a ride. I mean, he was that dirty bird era. That was a great era of football. I mean, he was such a freakish style of running back, and his knees ultimately paid the price. I mean, yeah. he he had such violent cutting ability, so much strain. I think he blew both his knee knees out in like successive years. Eventually, just wore him out. But um, I think he was a sixth round pick out of Utah, if memory serves me correctly. Yes, but yes. He, he Montgomery to me, somebody's going to get him in the third round. And I think he's going to end up being 
the like you just mentioned, I don't want to make um, unfortunate player comparisons, but like that Kareem Hunt type of he's just going to, if he's in the right situation, man, he's going to be a guy that can just explode and dominate in the NFL game because I believe one of the biggest things that scouts have to start looking at when it comes to evaluating playmakers is the whole speed and quickness thing. That'll never change. The NFL is a game about size, speed, and whatnot. But the ability to break tackles, the the ability to have that contact balance is so important now more so than ever because of the limitations on tackling in practice that if you can be a guy that defenses are just not getting the reps in practice to finish physical plays anymore. And we don't see guys that have that type of innate ability to break tackles or to stay on their feet like David Montgomery has shown over the years at Iowa State. We don't see those guys come through the league that often. You have guys that can break through the first tackle. You have big backs like you have Todd Gurley. You have strong backs like Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, look at the names. Those are the elite of the elite. And they're not guys that are necessarily going to – I mean, Todd Gurley can take the top off of defense. Ezekiel Elliott has the speed to do it too, but they haven't made a living with 70-yard touchdown runs. They've made a living getting eight yards after breaking through the first tackle on the second level. And a guy like David Montgomery, I think, can do that. And I would give him the benefit over the of the doubt over a guy like Josh Jacobs because of what I talked about earlier, those quick feet. Let's talk about one of Jacobs teammates, a guy who entered the season in, you know, the, the general media perception as the number one running back in the class, and that's Damian Harris. And he did nothing this year to change his profile as a running back. But now we're looking at a guy who's a second rounder probably maybe a third rounder. I've seen some mock drafts have him as low as the fourth round. Where do you have Harris pegged in the overall picture of the running back class this year? Yeah, it's funny. And let me just add to with David Montgomery, he's one of four backs who I gave a star level quality of power. And how I define that is, how, can you push the pile? Can you break multiple tackles? Um, can you, you know, can you get yards through contact? Not just, you know, the little fly swatter arm on your, on your thigh, and that's great. It is yards after contact. I mean, real hits, and Montgomery certainly qualifies there. And so now, so we're so we're doing a podcast here, right? So nobody can see me. But when whenever I give a scouting opinion that Matt Wallman agrees with, a big smile goes across my face, listeners. So <laughs> that's like that's like a an endorsement, a ringing endorsement of a scouting eye. So I'm well, glad we're seeing at least something similar with Montgomery. Let me put it to you this way. The difference between Josh Jacobs and Montgomery on my grading is so negligible that if you that if you picked Montgomery ahead of Josh Jacobs, I'd go, doesn't matter to me because they're in the same tier. That's what matters to me is the same tier. It's how you what you prefer in terms of safety or you know, in terms of, you know, who's proven it more. Well, Montgomery's proven it more. The way you stated it, you know, if you were a GM and I was a scout and and you said this is what I prefer. I'd go, well, they're both on the same spot on the board. You, you just made an argument for him. That's more than good enough. I'd be happy with the, us picking either one. So, I mean, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Montgomery just feel like the guy that everyone every year just wants to find a reason not to like he ran a four six two forty whatever it was. Uh, he has what six hundred college carries. Uh, he's not flat. He can't catch the football. What, whatever these people say uh, to try to find the flaws in his game. Yet the tape doesn't lie. It never lies. It never has lied, and it never will lie. 
And when you watch the tape of Montgomery, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, uh, leading the Montgomery uh, cheerleading squad here, but uh, I don't know. I, I have a, as you can tell, Matt, I got a draft crush on David Montgomery <laughs> and, and my bears need a running back. And if he's there at pick 87, you know who I'm going to be banging the table for. Yeah, he certainly he would be on the short list for the Bears, I think. And, you know, there's a couple of guys I think of that I would love to see, but Montgomery would be high up on that list. Now with Damian Harris, listen, I, I like Damian Harris. I think he's a good running back, but I think he's a notch below who I think are the three guys that could be every down backs. I think Damian Harris could be an every down back, but the team that has him will probably a find another back that will be more compelling as an athlete or more compelling in certain level of skill that he'll be that guy. Like I think of, I think of him in this way. If he has great surrounding talent, he can be the Kareem hunt type of back who is just talented enough to be a big time player in the league and break tackles and catch the ball in the backfield and and be a better pass protector than Hunt was. Um, but someone who can pretty much run every style and do it on a on a nice level. But if you but more realistically, I think he's more of like a slightly more on the level of a guy like New Orleans St. Pierre Thomas, who, you know, he's good enough if you need him to carry the load for you. He can do that, but you're probably not going to want to pay him big money to be your feature back and every year that you have to roll with him you've got your you've got one eye uh, on somebody else on 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 another group of backs so he's it's he's an interesting back because he's just on the verge of being that level because of the vision because of the fact that he reads the blitz pretty well and picks it up in a variety of ways and he's and he's decent at cuts he can cut across a couple of gaps and find the right gap he can run gap or zone for you so he's versatile on that level he's not quite the receiver that i think jacobs showed to be which is why their roles were kind of split and sometimes the ways they were but he's just not dynamic he's good not great i think that's a, a perfect assessment of his game and it's funny i like those guys right, right. give me the good give me that good running back in the third or fourth round and that's kind of like what you see. I don't want to keep making Bears references here, but they're near and dear to my heart. And, you know, Ryan Pace has made a living off of finding those good running backs in that fourth or fifth round that you you don't pay for a second contract. You end up finding another good running back in the fourth or fifth round. Come year four, look what they're doing now at Jordan Howard, shipping him off to the Eagles for literally nothing. Um, so a guy like Damian Harris having almost like different styles again, uh, but almost like a Jordan Howard like impact on an offense where he's a good player. Is he a game changer? No. Is he a guy that's gonna you're gonna build an offense around? Probably not. Can he get you 1,200 yards? And the, if everything clicks, oh yeah, and the season goes well, and he's gonna get you 4.1 yards of carries and get you 1,200 yards. Sure. But is he a guy that you're gonna pay that big second contract to? Probably not. But a team that needs a running back that needs a starting running back that you want to be able to. Uh, Pierre Thomas is a great comp too. You want to be able to say, this guy can lead our running game until we find a superstar. That could be Damian Harris. I definitely agree with that. You know, one of the things, Matt, not to sidestep off of this particular class, but player comps while we're, we're kind of doing that that game here. Something I've been, um, I want to say, experimenting with in my own private scouting here with player comps is moving away from comparing a player based on traits and instead 
saying what I think a player's, you know, what, what would Damian Harris's maximum upside be? Jordan Howard. Damian Howard, Damian Harris is a completely different style running back to Jordan Howard. But the comp, like if I was going to sell to a GM, if a GM said to me, who is Damian Harris? I would say Damian Harris is Jordan Howard. Well, they're not the same style running back, but the impact that he would have on an offense in the NFL for our particular team would be like what Jordan Howard did for the Bears. Do you think that's a good way about going player comps or should it really be trait specific? I like it because, I mean, I, I do a little bit of that with certain players, like, for instance, with quarterbacking. I mean, just to give a quick example, Kyler Murray, to me, physically, you look at him and say, there's no way he's Carson Wentz. I mean, they're Mutt and Jeff in comparison to each other. But when you look at what he does well on the field and the type of offense that he would really thrive in, he and Carson Wentz have a lot of similarities, especially in what they're strong at and what they're weak at. So I look at them and say, he's Carson Wentz with more speed. You know, he's Carson Wentz who's shorter, um, you know, and a better deep game. But in essence, that's the kind of player, you know, the type of scheme you want to fit to that. So I could see where you could look at that and and do that. I think that it depends on, you know, obviously the team or the environment that you're in where you want to make those comps because you want to make sure that maybe a team might want you to say, please just, you know, if you're going to give us a comp that's conceptual uh, on some level, give us a little bit of the plus or minuses of their traits to, to give us an idea of why he differs from that guy. But it's, you know, physically, but at the same time, fits within that offense and, and, and goes from that standpoint. So you could say, so, so yeah. let's say you're a, you're a general manager. Right. What do you think is the more efficient way of, of presenting a comp? Like, you know, and I know, and, and the guys that have been doing this long enough know it's it, when a scout has an opportunity to pitch a player in a, in a draft room, if let's say it's that third or fourth round. And now the scouts are really being leaned on for their, in-depth analysis of a player. It's kind of like the old elevator rule where you're, you wrote a script and you're suddenly riding the elevator at Steven Spielberg and you have that, that, you know, maybe two or three floor elevator ride. And in three sentences, you got to sell your movie script to Steven Spielberg or you'll, you'll never have the opportunity again. You know, being able to compare a player to an active NFL starter or, you know, not to keep saying the same word comp, um, you telling me that Kyler Murray can be like Carson Wentz is a thousand times clearer than you telling me who he runs like and who he throws like. And if you tell me he runs like Lamar Jackson, but throws like Russell Wilson, I still have no idea what kind of quarterback I'm getting. Yeah. And I think I you're mean, right that about it? that. Because you know, it's I mean, a, it's just from, from an efficiency standpoint, yeah, Carson big, Wentz with speed. Right? Yeah. It's big picture. And I think that's what you want to do is you can sell that. And, and the same thing too, is that we got to remember too, that, you know, most teams are looking at a smaller pool of players than, you know, independent draft analysts like myself are doing, you know, so we're looking at a wider range and sometimes using the comparison that's a little bit more, you know, that's not as, um, you know, as dynamic or broad based or, you know, big picture, sometimes that's more helpful to the individual fan, but you're right because you want to sell that and, and everyone already has, help define what kind of back they're looking for. If you're in Chicago and you're looking for Josh, you know, Jordan Howard's replacement, then you want to hear you then you want to hear that you found someone who can give you what Jordan Howard gave you. You know, in terms of the, 
the level of production. Now, how it gets done might be a little different. And that's why you do say he's Jordan Howard with a little more speed or he's Jordan Howard with better hands. And then suddenly you're going, oh, so I'm getting I might get a slight upgrade in in certain areas that we didn't get from Jordan Howard. You're Jordan Howard with better hands, not quite as much power, but, you know. He he's a good kid and he, he's a good he's a good player. He's not going to play with the bum shoulder that Jordan Howard played through. He might not be as tough as that, but he's durable. I wonder if I wonder if draft Twitter will ever be able to reach a day in time where a player comp um, can be made like that without getting completely shredded or torn apart. Because yeah, you know as well as anybody, Matt, on on draft Twitter, it's it's every man for himself, for themselves. And if you say, you know, if you said Kyler Murray is Carson Wentz, I mean, the the general draft fan or you know tr- or Twitter troll is going to almost laugh that off, right? But yeah. when you really think about it, what could Kyler Murray do for the Arizona Cardinals? He could do what Carson Wentz did for the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, in one sentence. That explains who Kyler Murray is, and that explains why he should be the number one pick overall. But that's for another day. Um, Let's move on to some of the other running backs in this draft class. Another guy that I think has massive upside, a guy who is being overlooked. He gained a little momentum at the combine. And I think, you know, what happens with these guys is, you know, when they peak in the draft season, I think can be, can cut both ways, right? Miles Sanders for Penn State seemed to peak at the combine and now we're suddenly, you know, his name isn't necessarily one of the first running backs that are mentioned anymore. It's now back to Josh Jacobs, probably because of the, all the attention paid to his pro day. He ran that second and faster 40 yard dash. So that the, the, the threat of Miles Sanders pushing for maybe RB one status has subsided, but Miles Sanders in his first year out of Saquon Barkley shadow really proved that he is a five-star talent in my opinion, in every down back in the NFL, where do you kind of stand on Miles Sanders? Oh, I agree. I think he's a very good back. And you look at that, you know, acceleration and change of direction, and it exceeds what Saquon Barkley could do. It's just that he's in a he's a smaller back, so it doesn't look as dynamic because you would kind of expect that kind of acceleration and change of direction out of a back of his frame compared to Barkley, who's about twenty pounds heavier. Um, but that said. Sanders is also a guy that when he runs his style, when he, and I think his style is one cut, maybe in the, you know, or maybe be able to do a little bit more dynamic work in the backfield where he needs to, to make the first man miss and get downhill and then drop the pads and use that acceleration to, to push for some yardage and not try to make that second or third or fourth move. I think when he does that, he's really at his best. Um, when he's, when he's trying to, play like his predecessor Saquon Barkley I think that's where things get a little bit dicey with him where I think he he makes one too many cuts tries to make he second guesses what he's doing and that's where he gets a little bit in trouble and that's a maturity issue that I think he can grow out of he's a he's a guy that um the the only concern I really have with him other than that conceptual maturity is his ball security his ball security he had um 10 fumbles and 364 touches, um, and five of them came in his first 97 touches, and the rest came in the remaining 240 whatever. I, I looked at them, looked at the data recently, but it's still basically at a security rate that's well below reserve tier. 
And so I'm looking at a back who is going to have to prove that he can hold on to the ball um, and not get tabbed as a as an easy out, an easy turnover. And if he can do that, then I think he has a real fighting chance to become a good starter in this league. Um, and there's no proof that, you know, that that the number of fumbles a guy has as a collegian is going to translate to him having a bad, bad ball security as a pro, though, you know, from just a number standpoint. Um, but at the same time, when I look at the different traits or different skills and techniques that go into how a player protects the football, those things don't change until you see them change. <laughs> so um, I, I am worried about him. And when I think about players for him, he can be a lead back. He can work on passing downs for you. I think he runs zone and gap very well. Um, and he reminds me of two backs. Like if he doesn't quite get it together and he tries to be a little bit too um, elusive and make one move too many, he may be more like a Donald Brown type of player who was a high-end draft pick but never quite got his career together to be a full-time starter at a high level. I think if he does get his act together and plays a little bit more maturely and drops his pads and uses his size, even though he's not big, he's in that sweet spot of a starter size and just kind of plays a little more physical and doesn't try to make that extra move, then I think he's a little more like another older player, Cadillac Williams. And when Cadillac Williams before his injury, where he could run through you, but he could also make plays in tight spaces and catch the ball and be an all around back who could carry the load for you, despite the fact that he wasn't like a 225, 230 pound player. I like that comp to Cadillac Williams and, and Cadillac had one of the most impressive first three games of any running back's career ever. And then obviously those unfortunate injuries derailed him. A player that comes to mind for me with Miles Sanders and not necessarily, again, trait for trait specific, but I do see some some flashes of a slightly smaller, slightly less physical Melvin Gordon in terms of a max upside for Miles Sanders. And, you know, I just think he's got some of those traits that on the next level, if he's drafted in like, let's say that second round range and he's given the keys to the car, I think he could take off and be, excuse me, a real, a real legitimate weapon for an offense that takes him. Now, running backs, speed, you know, long speed to me is not necessarily a critical trait in terms of projecting future success. But when they really lack that speed, you have to be concerned. One guy who I really liked going into the combine, who I have now no idea what to think about him. So that's why you're here, Matt, to help clear the air. Elijah Holyfield, what's the deal? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I I think when I watch him, I still see a guy who can get to the corner, whether it's a short corner or the long corner. So the quickness is there. It's just that, he just can't sustain that rate once he gets past about 20 yards in whatever direction he's running. So if he's running the long corner, you know, where he's like on the left hash and he has to get to the right numbers to clear the defense, he's probably going to run out of gas to the point that it's going to be a five or six yard gain if he breaks a tackle. Whereas if he takes the short corner, it might be a 20, 25 yard gain before he has to encounter somebody. Um, and so you see that speed and play there. He's a guy that's your singles and doubles hitter when it comes to running. Um, he's strong. Obviously, we know that. He reminds me in a lot of ways of another old school guy, Travis Henry, who was not extremely fast, but very physical, someone that a team's going to really find valuable. And and 
I kind of see him having a career like Henry where he'll play like three, four, five different teams and no team's going to want to pay him, but they're going to be awfully glad that they have him when they need him until it's time that the season's over. And now he's asking for, you know, starter money and he's proven it, but they're like, we want someone faster. Kind of what CJ Anderson, I think, went through in Denver and then was kind of like, frustrated and probably ate himself into bigger shape but still can play because he was a big old fullback at cal anyway before he before he lost the weight to play you know with denver as a as a running back um but i think that that's what you get out of elijah holyfield is a good good back who can probably play all three downs for you and develop into that but he's not going to be a breakaway guy and there's teams that are going to see limitations with you know what he can offer and they'll admire him but they'll be feeling like we can just do a little bit better and and he's that guy that fans will probably half the fan base will like go just keep him he's good enough this is what we want you know he can give us what we need and the other half is going to be like nah we want something better and if they don't find it the other half of the fan base is going to be really upset because they're going to feel like you drafted this guy who's you know you drafted a uh, Bishop Sankey or an Andre Williams and got rid of Elijah Holyfield. You, you know, what are you doing? You know, that's the kind of career I see Holyfield having. I love the Travis Henry comp. I, I think that is pitch perfect. And he is, uh, you know, Travis Henry was, like you said, he was a good running back. Uh, and, and Holyfield, look, he was productive in the SEC. He's got the feet that I love. Um, and, and the dude is a bowling ball. I mean, he is, he is going to be, you know, he's, he's clearly got his father's power, right? He packs a punch when he's running with the football and, and he's a guy, a Travis Henry. I really like that comp. I think he could end up being that kind of impact player. You know what the, the sad who- irony is? You know what the sad irony is of him though? As a blocker, he can't uppercut with power. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. He's he, hasn't learned, he hasn't learned how to punch like his daddy. If he, he can learn get, how to punch like his daddy, it's all over. He's got to get into that squared circle with his father, and you know maybe his dad will rough him up a little bit. But I'll, I'll believe it on this, Matt. If there was one running back in this class that you would bang the table for, um, we're not going to talk about round valuation or or what have you. But if you're a team, you need a running back. Uh, and it's a guy that you think you can build, it, it, whether it's a guy we've already talked about or someone we haven't yet mentioned. Is there a particular running back in this draft that if you were a scout and you were pretty much putting your reputation on the line to say, this is the guy, this is this is the alpha, who would it be? <laughs> wow. You know, the, there it would be between two guys, and I'll just say the guy who I'm not going to pick, who will probably end up performing better than the one I'm going to pick, is Darwin Thompson out of Utah State. I think this guy – is he breaks tackles, multiple tackles, he pushes the pile. He's a he is he is freakishly strong for his size, 40 and a half inch vertical leap, Olympic power lifter type of strength. Um and so I think he could be kind of what Tariq Cohen is for the Bears, but with more power and maybe not quite as much electricity in terms of his change of direction style. Um, but he's a good receiver. I think some team's going to get him and go, wow, we got like Deion Lewis with power. And that and that could be really interesting. But the guy I'm going to pick ultimately is Alexander Madison of Boise State. Um, Alexander Madison's 5'11", 221 pounds. He just ran a 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", 4'5",
at the 40 at his pro day after running a four six seven. Um, but to me, you look at the quickness and and change of direction skill, and he had that four two nine twenty shuttle at his size is good. His seven point one three three cone is good. Thirty five inch vertical leap, strong legs. He when I watch him play, I see a guy who's efficient with his steps to um, process information, whether it's penetration, whether it's what gap a running back uh, defender's taking, and being able to set up quick moves. And when I watch his tape, I see a guy who you can watch one play and pick out like 10 to 12 things that say, that's starter material at the running back position, that trait there, that skill there, that conceptual understanding of um, pursuit is NFL caliber. And he's a guy who's very smart. He's a This is a guy who last year got hurt at the end of the year, played through it, ended up um, getting some surgery, nothing major, major, but he decided, you know what? I need to figure out how to get my nutrition right so that I can, what I'm going to call prehab my body so that I don't, I'm stronger at the end of the year. And he did that. And he accomplished that fact at Boise State his in his junior year here. And I think that his physicality, his quickness, his intelligence, his ability to carry the load, the fact that he can play in the snow and ice of Boise State and look like the most agile player on the field and not lose his balance is a plus. And I think he can be a feature lead back. I, I was He's on the cusp of that to me. And I, and I really like Jamal Williams, and I was wrong about him. Um, I like Jamal Williams, and, and the reason I was wrong is that I thought he could be a feature back. And I think Williams maybe still might prove that correct, but he's going to have to improve his acceleration and change of direction quickness. And I thought he'd be able to do that from year one to year two. But what I realized in hindsight is that he's already trained enough and been diligent about his training that he wasn't going to make that many more gains in terms of those skills. Alexander Madison to me is what I thought Jamal Williams would be, which is a guy who's on the verge of being an every down back and, what I see, and then just the off-field component, what impresses me about him is he comes from a stable family environment in a very difficult um, neighborhood of San Bernardino, which is a gang-infested neighborhood. And he was his family sent him to a, like, I don't know what the official name of the school is, but like a magnet school that teaches bilingually. So he learned, he learned science and math and Spanish. And he learned other courses in English. So he became bilingual and he had a 4.67 grade point average um, out of high school. Um, And it's not, you know, we often say football's for different individuals. And, you know, the the people who have the easy lives, you know, generally don't want to play a physical sport like this. But while Alexander Madison has created opportunities for himself from an intellectual standpoint to have an easier life, He's also coming from a family where being able to make this kind of money and start this type of career and play at this kind of a level is something that I think it will be motivating to him. And I see him as being a, a guy that if the Bears took him, for instance, and I know they've had him visit, um, I would not be at all surprised. And I would be very happy for the Chicago Bears if they got Alexander Madison. Well, you guys heard it here. That that is the one, the only, Mr. Matt Waldman, who I w- cannot recommend highly enough that you follow him on Twitter if you like the takes you had here, that you heard here about the running back class, which I don't know why you wouldn't. 
you got to follow him over at Twitter at Matt Waldman. Make sure you go over to mattwaldman.com. Get the rookie scouting portfolio now. It is as in-depth of a uh, draft guide as you'll find about this running back class in addition to the wide receivers, quarterbacks, and tight ends. Um, Make sure you check out his work at mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's the site where Matt is putting his uh, daily musings about the draft. His uh, his YouTube uh, scouting videos are on there as well. It's a treasure trove of information, and like I said, for the aspiring scout, the person who wants to learn more about the craft, it's not just, you know, where is Elijah Holyfield going to get drafted and who are the Philadelphia Eagles going to take in the second round. It's about understanding why are they taking these players? What is the reason why Elijah Holyfield could be the next Travis Henry type of running back? You'll learn those reasons by getting the rookie scouting portfolio, by following Matt on Twitter, by checking out his work at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And obviously, guys, come on back to the With the First Pick podcast. Uh, we're a new show, like I said at the top. I'm, I, I've been told that we will be in uh, iTunes, on Google Podcasts, everywhere you can find your podcast. So make sure you subscribe. Drop us a wonderful and friendly five-star review, a beautifully written rating. We would obviously love that as well. Uh, you can follow me over on Twitter at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. And draft fans, we are getting closer. We are getting closer to the the annual holiday that is the NFL draft. And along the way, we'll be putting out more work at withthefirstpick.com. We'll be putting more shows together here at the With the First Pick podcast. Matt, thank you for your time tonight. And come on back next time uh, at withthefirstpick.com. Oh, thank you so much. And for those of you who are listening, listen, if you this is your first time listening to Brian's work, Brian has been a stalwart in the draft community for a long time, and there's a lot of things that he does that I think some people know and know well, and some folks may not who are uninitiated may not, but Brian has always had a really strong eye for talent, and he's one of the good guys in the industry, and you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Matt, I appreciate the words, and I obviously look forward to talking to you real soon, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.